0: Hello, racing world, and welcome to The Chrono Show. The Chrono Show is an endurance industry podcast for event producers, race directors, timers, and a variety of industry insiders. The show focuses on the history of this unique industry, the individuals that created it, the current state of affairs, and where it all goes from here. The show is hosted by Mike Malisi from ChronoTrack, that's me by the way, with guests from all across the industry and a few from outside it too. Thanks for tuning in and Welcome. To the Chrono Show.
1: Five, four, three, two, one. We are off and ready.
0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today's special guest is Matt Hilbig, based in St. Louis from Big River Race Management. Matt is the founder and CEO of Big River River Race Management, the founder and co-owner of the Big River Running Company, a local running and walking specialty store also in St. Louis. He's a member of the SBG 40 Under 40, ChronoTrack Timer Pioneer Award winner, and an accomplished endurance athlete and father of three. Matt, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. All right. And you've heard the show a couple times in the past. You said you have a, a feel for how this works, right?
1: I am a I am a fan and a follower. Yes, I've heard I've listened to a few of them and have some more to cover still.
0: Yeah. Well, no pressure. But
1: if today goes well, there's a chance
0: that dozens of people might hear this episode at some point. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> all right. So before we get into Big River and all the business stuff, do you mind just kind of giving us a, a background on on you yourself, where you came from, how you grew up, the family, those types of things, and then we'll then we'll
1: get into the business stuff. Yeah. Sure. So. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, uh, just outside in, in and, in the suburbs and, uh, and yeah, did the, you know, did the suburb thing, played soccer, played baseball, did a bunch of different sports. And, uh, uh, my dad was a big sports guy and, um, you know, I ran kind of figured out in high school that I had no future in any of those sports and, uh, was actually pretty good at running. So, you know, I, I think a lot, like a lot of people running kind of finds to you, you don't necessarily go looking for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a had a good had a good uh, had a good uh, career in running. Um, was was a state champion in, in high school. Ran 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 uh, in in college. Was all American. And then uh, and then when I got done, I was uh, just looking for. Uh, didn't quite know what I wanted to do, and uh, and, and knew I loved running. So uh, a, a college roommate and I opened our opened Big River Running Company. Back in 2006, so we were pretty much fresh out of school. I had just graduated from from graduate school, and uh, and my my old roommate Ben had just got done with a stint running professionally for the Hansons, and uh, and we had this idea to open a running store in St. Louis, and uh, and here I am, 15 years later. So, um, you know that the the stores led to uh, led to us getting started in race management it was it was started getting phone calls as soon as we opened our our, our running store and people would call and say hey we have an event coming up can you guys sponsor it and then and then it became uh, and then it became sorry about that Uh, and then it became can you guys help us with this race and I had an interest in in doing that Uh, when I was in graduate school at Iowa State I got involved with I was a uh, graduate assistant coach with the cross country attract teams and Iowa state has amazing facilities. So we hosted meets all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I got involved with, with helping out with timing a little bit there, more meat management. And so when we started getting these calls to the office or at the store, I was like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'll, it's, it's a good way to bring business into the stores and, and, um, uh, I've got some background in it. So my business partner was like, I'm not touching that stuff. It's all you, um, you do that and I'll keep doing, you know, the stores. And so I started this kind of side hustle and that side hustle is, uh, you know, has, has turned into a, into a pretty good size operation now. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of the uh, condensed version of, of, of how I got here today. And then how about a, maybe a quick, um, a quick version of Katie
0: and the kids, the, the family background.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I met Katie at the stores actually. Um, we were hosting the first, the first, we opened in the fall of 2006 and Katie was, um, uh, and still is uh, a coach at one of the local high schools. And she brought her mm-hmm. team in for, for a team night. And, uh, and I, and I didn't know her, my, my business partner knew her cause she grew up in South city yeah, where my business partner grew up. And I was like, who's that? And he says, Oh, that's, uh, it's, it's Katie Manhart. She's the head coach at Azu at And I said, oh, well, you got to introduce me to her. So it took us a little while to kind of figure things out. We were both seeing other people at the time, but uh, eventually I I, uh, I crashed her birthday party and, and asked her out. And uh, and that was kind of the, how that all got going. Um, but yeah, we've got three kids. Uh, we've got a, a, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a soon-to-be four-year-old. And they're keeping us plenty busy with uh, their activities and they're doing track and baseball and gymnastics and, and um, we're coaching and doing our, doing, our doing what we can to support them. So yeah, busy, busy time yeah. in our lives right now, but it's uh it's a lot of fun. And how do they
0: like running? Do they embrace it as part of the family business or do they, they reject it because it's your thing and they want something else?
1: No, that's a good question. They, you know, Katie and I still, Katie runs more than I do. I've, I've, I still run occasionally, but I'm more of a cyclist and mountain biker now. And, uh, yeah. So they're always seeing us out the door, and they wake up. Where's mom? Oh, she's running. They just kind of oh, okay, but uh, yeah. but they've got that. They've got they've they've been blessed with some good genes, and so they've they have fun because they have fun with it because they're pretty good at it, and and so we're trying. We're going to do our best not to burn them out or get them. You know, we want them to enjoy it and be excited about it. So we're taking it slow, and they have their. They run a five K or two here and there, and they run. You know, they're running the mile on the track right now and having fun with it. So that's good. So, yeah. yeah
0: keeping it fun no pressure okay and then have they spent much time um either in a in a timing trailer or on site at races giving out medals and high fives and things like that
1: not yet they're kind of i brought i brought connor in this past year when it when we were doing a lot of uh packet fulfillment during the pandemic and uh yeah. he, he was earning five dollars an hour um don't turn me in on that i'll probably get in trouble but uh <laughs> he's earning five dollars an hour stuff in packets and uh and he was all about it so yeah, that's that's that was his introduction. But uh, yeah, I think he's kind of a techie, t- techie computer guy, and he likes running. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was in a timing trailer in the next couple of years. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I took my son two years ago,
0: I think, for the first time. He timed a uh, he helped time a Christmas themed race with one of our other timers here in Richmond, and he's been hooked on it ever since. He loves timing; he thinks it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. He knows, knows, probably knows more about it technically than than I do that's funny. All right. So let's get back to the business. So, um, would you mind walking me through, I'd really love to know two things, kind of how the business grew and any, what you would consider defining moments or, or pivotal moments in, in the growth of the business? Sure.
1: Yeah. So we, you know, we started off with small events. I'm in the first event. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a pancake theme. And I was like, was so nervous like i think i was more nervous for that first race than i was of running any race i've ever run in you know and i'd yeah. like, run in the state finals or run in the you know NCA finals and division two finals and and uh, i was so nervous for that race because i was like man there's it's like 100 people too so it wasn't even that many people but i was like it's 100 people and i'm in charge of the results like it's a massive responsibility yeah. um and it went fine i had like five people out there making sure that everything went well but um you know, we got through that, started adding more events and, you know, we hadn't bought a timing system yet. And, uh, and this is, this is where things kind of really ramped up. And, and my, my now business partner on the, on the race management side of things, this is not the, this is not the guy I started the stores with Um, this guy, this gentleman's name is Tom Eckelman. Tom has been timing races since the seventies. So Tom's in his mid seventies now in age. And Tom came to, came to myself and my, Business partner at the stores and said, I'm I'm he had a business partner who was retiring and said and Tom came to us and said, Hey, I'm interested in buying a chip timing system. Would you guys be interested in going into business with me? You know, I've got probably another five or ten years in me. And uh, and when I'm when it's time for me to retire, you guys can buy me out and I'll, you know, we'll go our separate ways. And I liked Tom a lot back then. You know, we knew we didn't know him that well, but I knew him well enough to know that this was a really solid guy. And and mm-hmm. and uh, Tom has Tom had a lot of the a lot of long standing relationships with the biggest events in, in town. So, so we started this relationship on a handshake, and uh, and Tom and I are still working together to this day. In fact, we share an office. Um, so I'm usually you know five feet from him. Um, but yeah, we uh, so Tom kind of brought. A lot of these relationships in town, and Tom had been up until up until this point. And this was 2007 or eight, 2008. Tom, up until this point, had been pull tagging events. So I mean, he's been pull, he was pull tagging races with 5,000 people, you know, five, six, ten thousand people pull tagging. You know, it might take him two weeks to get the results out. But yeah. you know, around that time is when a lot of the big races were starting to say, "Hey, we need to we need to." We need to either, you either need to invest in a chip timing system or, or we're going to have to find somebody that can do it for us. And so Tom kind of recognized that it needed to, it needed to happen. He needed to kind of a say uh, an exit strategy. And that was us. So we kind of brought the computers, the tech savvy, the, the, the energy, the, the hunger, Tom brought all the relationships and, and um, a lot of the, you know, institutional knowledge. And so we had like the most perfect partnership and it's just been uh, it's just been awesome learning and working with tom over the years um so yeah so the next thing we had to do was decide what what system we were going to buy and we were you know we were looking at ipco at the time it was really one of the only games in town um and then i i ran a race i ran a race at the 2008 uh running event and it was and there was a, a this weird strip on the bib that you took off and put on your shoe and then you run across these these mats and i was like this is the future this is it and it was so i looked into it and it was chronotrack and this was before this was before the 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 blue and orange gators this was before yeah. anything was like it was all like prototypes and i looked up chronotrack that following monday i got back to the office on a monday or tuesday i look up chronotrack and I, I see the sales number is a 314 area code. And that's St. Louis. So I was like, oh, I gotta call them now. So I call that number, and sure enough, Bob Finnegan picks up. Yeah. And I say, hey, we're looking at and at, and at this time we had, we had started talking with the Jaguar system, because they are also based in St. Louis. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. St. Louis is not known as a tech startup or anything like that, but we had both these disposable chip timing system companies. In St. Louis, and we had we had seen the Jaguar system. We had met with the owner, and uh, you know it was it was intriguing. Um, but then Finnegan's first thing I had, he goes, "Don't buy anything. We're gonna meet. I'm gonna show you the system, and then and then you can make a decision." So we met with Bob, and Bob, I love Bob, as as many of you know. Bob, he's he's just a straight shooter. He's he's uh, he just gets right to the point. And he just laid it laid it out there, and uh, and we liked what we heard, so we went with Track and, and honest to God, that looking back, that's that was probably the biggest and best decision we made in terms of the company, as 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 in terms of like the trajectory of our future. Um, that was a big turning point for us.
0: And at that point, ChronoTrack proper was brand new. Did the did the brand mean anything back then, or just the like the feature set that Bob would have shown you at the time?
1: No, I, mean, I, I Crown Track didn't mean anything back then. I mean, I, yeah, I, I knew true. that, I knew that the, that the disposable chips were the, were the future. Like, yeah. If they were accurate, and Bob ensured, you know, ensured uh, us that they were accurate. If they were accurate, that was the future disposable tags. And, and, uh, you know, the, the D tag on the shoe was a little clunky and a little hard to follow. But, you know, once you kind of figured it out, I mean, we had some massive explosions and terrible, Days, but early on when we were learning, but but uh, you know once once you learned the system, it was it was it was you know it, it's what made this company take off. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that
0: back then. By the way, it made it made a big difference for for the company, and it's continued to do though you to do so um, since then. You know your your business has grown. I have a couple questions here for you about about the success that Big River has had. You many timers plateau. After acquiring a certain size book of business over over time, Big River has migrated into multiple states. So you have multiple offices—you know, Chicago, New York, and of course, St. Louis—and you you travel multi-state depending on the race. You guys service all types of uh, different genres of of, uh, of of events, so not not limited just to to runs. Um, I'm curious to know how you were able to do that and specifically how are you able to kind of break through the threshold that many timers seem to hit? There's a ceiling there. We just, you just can't take any more, any more events. You don't have the bandwidth for it. You guys seem to, to not have that ceiling. You keep finding more. How, how does that happen?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, it all goes back to the team, you know, like, like you said, like one guy can only time so many races in a year and, and, you know, we're, we're timing well over the, that number of races. Um, but it just goes back to hiring good people. You know, and I've heard, I've listened to a few of the podcasts and that's that's kind of the secret sauce that a lot of them mention as well. But, you know, we've, Tom and I have done a, f- a really nice job of finding good people and, and training good people and then, and then having them, like, start turn around and start to train us on, on ways to be better. And so, you know, we've had some real, we've had some all-stars come through this office. Um, we're kind of the, the breeding ground for, for, you know, budding, budding, timing superstars so you know kyle cameron the, the one of the, the lead timer at emotive was got his start with us in this office and yeah. kyle helped really help move this this company forward uh, pat hamill was our first full-time hire pat's now the the lead timer for spartan um you know jordan Bernath came through he was he was a um he's now the, the kind of second in command for timing at, at spartan so we've had some really good guys come through here and uh And, you know, when you hire good people, you know, they can, they can, they're, they're kind of arms of the, they're kind of owners of the business. So like they, you know, we've, we've kind of taken the, 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 uh, the way we handle our, our, our book of business is, you know, everybody has their their little book of clients and they work with them from start to finish. And, you know, you know, I have, I have like our top 30 clients and then, you know, Nick in our office has, you know, our next 30 clients and then so-and-so on and so so forth. Um, And that that system works well for us and it works well for our clients. So, you know, we've scaled over the years. You know, we started with one full-time, well, it was just Tom and I, you know, working out of the back of the store. Then we hired Pat, then we hired Kyle, then we hired Jordan, then we hired, you know, a a whole slew of guys in between. And, you know, we've we've lost some of those guys over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I think... The sign of a good business is is one that can lose a really key person and just keep moving forward and you know it hurt to lose some of those guys and uh but we've reloaded and we've got an awesome stable of of of, of timers in the office right now and uh, and we work we've got a great culture work well together there's um you know a lot of uh, teamwork but everybody kind of has their again their their specialties and their their, their clients that they work with and um, so yeah, you know, we've got seven full-time timers in this office now and that's, you know, I, from talking to timers around the country, that's, that's kind of a rare thing. You know, yeah. there's a few companies that have like one full-timer, maybe two, but I, there's very few timers that have very few companies have as many full-time timers as we do. And, and it's just a different, there's different business models. You know, there's, you know, a lot of folks will have one or two full-time and then they'll have like four or five contract timers that just come in on the weekends, you know, the, the guys that just show up, pick up the equipment and go time a race and drop it off. And um you know, that's fine. That works for a lot of people. And like I always like I'm in I'm in awe of those guys that can do it with with just a few full timers and can juggle all the things. And um, you know, this 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 met this style, this structure that we have, you know, it gives us a little bit more um we can be a little bit more attentive to those race directors and yeah, and, um, and not necessarily be running around with our heads cut off all week trying to prepare for the next weekend. Uh, you know, instead of preparing for seven races this weekend, I'm preparing for one or two, and yeah. you know, the next county kind of office preparing for one or two. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, you mentioned the stable is so the way you described it a second ago,
0: which is an interesting, interesting follow-up question for me. So, in addition to just the number of timers, the nature of those timers I think of as pretty unique within. Big River and maybe one or two other entities in the country, in which you know there's usually one high-caliber tier one timer, and then several others who are anything from you know hourly labor to the more physical stuff, like um, you know a crew that knows how to throw the mats out and assemble all the gear and get everything get everything online. Well, from an outsider looking in, one of the things that I think is unique about Big River, the way I would describe it, is it's more like you have seven tier one timers like everybody is high caliber it's a pretty rare thing partly because those those kinds of people are expensive um and also because it's just hard to train someone up and get get someone to become a tier one timer you know it's a unique interesting skill set that not everybody has did you did you was that strategy and having that 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 many tier one timers was that by design or did it just kind of evolve that way over time large crew of tier one timers
1: yeah you know we've been working on i mean we've trained probably 30 plus timers now in the last 15 years and so i I think we just have the system down you know and and i've always preached from the beginning is like we're all the company is only as good as our as our weakest link so we've always tried to you know, when, when there's a new guy in the office, we try to circle the wagons and, and give that guy as much attention and support as we can. So, you know, if it's not a weekend where we're timing 10 races, we'll have the new guy at the wheel and have our, you know, our, our top timing, training timer, you know, on his shoulder, just giving him the ins and the outs. And here's what you should do. Here's the report you should run. You need to be double checking this. Here's how you run this, you know, this report and that report. And, uh, And so we have kind of a checklist that we just work through, and and you know, I, it's not like these guys show up and in in two weeks they're they're crushing it. Like, it takes a full season, if not a full year, to like really get to the point where like we're like all right, you can time just about anything now. Um, but it it we get them there pretty quick. Like I, I think we could we could turn around we can turn folks around pretty quick. I mean we we've. We've kind of made a side hustle of that, you know, bringing on new, new, new timing companies and, and being their kind of their trainers. You know, we went through training at, at, uh, at, at Evansville back in 2009. And, yeah, you know, they, they taught us how to turn the boxes on and meant tend to the equipment. But back then that was about it. So, you know, once we kind of actually learned what, figured out what we were doing, it took us a while, but once we kind of figured that out, you know, it, I'm a process guy Yeah. And so we broke it down, you know, just step by step. And, you know, I always tell new hires and new timers, like timing's not that difficult. It's 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 a lot of just little things that, that are not that hard to do. But the, the what becomes difficult is you have a finite amount of time to do it. And there's a lot of steps, you know, hundreds. Yeah. And if you miss one of those steps, that's it's not good. So yeah. it's just one of those things. Like once you, you just got to break it down to little things and just kind of slowly introduce them and 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 then you know when we bring a new guy on we we reshuffle the the deck you know the you know if we lose our top guy then the next guy moves up to to be like the senior the senior guy yeah and then everybody kind of moves up in 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 uh complexity in terms of the races they're working with and the new guy gets the easy ones you know the the single single race common start finish you know, stuff that's, that's easy for a new guy to, to grasp. And as they get stronger then they get, you know, what we maybe swap them out as the lead timer at a race here and there and, and, and just help them grow as, as a, as a timer. So, you know, I I don't think there's anything like uh, there's no secret sauce to what we're doing. I think it's just being methodical and, 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 uh, and and kind of swallowing your pride. You know, I've seen some, we've had some guys over the years be like really um, kind of territorial, Yeah, and I've tried to squash that. Like there is no place for that in this company. Um, Everybody has to be willing to work any job that there is. So, like you, you'll find me at races. I'll be out setting up water stations. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll tend to the splits. Um, You know, whatever, whatever, whatever we need to get done to to make a race go off smoothly, we'll do it. And I've tried to impart that on the guys, and and they get they they've gotten it. You know, they they get it. So, you know, our lead timer. Some lead timers might be like, well, it's the biggest race. I'm timing it. You know, here we may have our second guy do it or our third guy do it, and have the lead guy kind of just be there to like look over his shoulder and make sure it goes smoothly. Yeah. Those those learning those those opportunities for those lower tier guys to learn and get better are, are what's going to make them our tier one guy in three years. You know. Yeah. So
0: speaking of that, of the seven the seven full time timers that you mentioned, are you including yourself in the seven? I am, and I, I say it laughing because I, I was gonna yeah. say where where are you in the hierarchy? If you if you were to rank those seven, towards the, <laughs> are you in the middle or towards the bottom?
1: Depends on the day. Depends <laughs> on the day. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I, I, they'll laugh. They'll say. they say that's bullshit. But uh, yeah, I'd say I'm in the middle. Yeah. I've tied a bit more races than all of them probably combined. But yeah. <laughs> you got the young whippersnappers nipping at your nipping at
0: your hero club. And um, how about New York? So you got Big Rivers plays a role in, in New York Marathon. It's a very prestigious role within the, the timing industry. How did you get into New York? And
1: do you mind speaking about that for the the relevance of that role as well? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's just been an absolute honor and, and pleasure to be a part of that team. Uh, you know, I think we at, when we first got brought on Bob Finnegan, who I have got pretty close to over the years, um, called and said, Hey, New York needs some help. Would you be interested in coming up and being part of the timing team? And of course, you know, we moved mountains to, to, to get up there. Um, and at the time we were not the furthest timer away. I think, uh, um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his last name, but Don from Oklahoma, Oklahoma city yeah. was, uh, was coming up. In fact, I roomed with Don, um, the first year I was there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's just been an awesome thing to be a part of and like the logistics that go into that and, and working with Tom Kelly and the and the team at Roadrunners is always you know one of the highlights of the year for us and our team here. So, yeah, we started going up there in 2012. In fact, the first my first year I was supposed to be part of the timing team was the year that the hurricane hit. So, yeah, um, I they flew us up there on a Thursday, and they yeah. Thursday morning, and by Thursday afternoon they had canceled the race. So they took us out for a nice dinner and said you can stay all weekend if you want. Um, I ended up flying back Friday, Friday morning, but uh, just because of the kids were, you know, the kids at home, but um, you know, they were, uh, but since then, yeah, we've, we've kind of uh, increased our, our, our role there. And, and um, you know, it's, like I said, it's just a blast going up there and being a part of the the largest uh, marathon in, in in North America.
0: Yeah, it is an honor to be, to be part of that one. It feels, uh,
1: it feels special when you're on site
0: for that one, that you're part of a a unique thing. I've always enjoyed it as well. And I have a much lesser role to play than you do. I mostly just pay for bar tabs, but I still I still be, enjoy being part of the crew. Yeah, we appreciate those bar tabs being paid. Yeah, yeah. it's an important role. It's just less less timing centric than some of the other roles, I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what would you just What would you say Big River is known for? So whether you're whether you're got a pros- prospective customer on the phone or if you're just talking to somebody in an elevator, what's what's the sweet spot for Big River? How do you describe yourself?
1: Oh man. Um, I would say that we have always, you know, everybody says they know customer service, but, but I, I think we really take that to heart. You know, a, a lot of our race directors have become like close personal friends of ours. And, and, uh, and, and that's kind of the, what we've instilled in all of our, all our staff is to really get to know their, their, uh, their race directors. Um, and you know, we don't lose very many events and that's, that's a point of pride for us. Um, and it's just because of the, the the personal touch that we bring to it. I think I think you know I think we do a darn good job. We're darn good timers. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know it's very rare that there's that we screw something up that at least is public facing or that somebody can tell is going on. Yeah. Um, but I tell the guys this all the time. I'm like, listen, we could go out and screw up a race. And it doesn't happen often, but we could go out and screw up a race. But as long as that relationship is strong, as long as, you know, the race directors know that we poured our hearts out for them and we care as much for that race as if it were our own, you know, they're going to bring us back 99 times out of 100, maybe 95 times out of 100, they're going to bring us back. Now, at the same time, we could go to a race, knock it out of the park, you know, do a good job and no, you know, everything 100% accurate and, uh, and we can lose that race. If the relationship's not strong, you know, somebody could come around, come, come by next year and offer him a better deal, do it cheaper, yeah. um, show him some fancy bell or whistle and, and, and the race could be gone. So, you know, in a lot of ways, the relationships are more valuable than, than, than anything else. And, and I think a lot of timers and, and business owners in general, um, that are in like it's the service industry, they overlook that. And I think that's, that's that's their loss and our gain. Um, cause that's, I'll take the relationship first and, yeah. and I think I'll put that first in a lot of cases. Um, and don't get me wrong. We spend hours, you know, weekly talking about, okay, how can we be better this week? What, what did we learn this past week? Technically that we can be more sound in the future. Like how many more, you know, do we a need to add another process to make sure we get it perfect every time? It's like, we, we sweat the details. Don't get me wrong, but, those relationships are what drive this business and keep it going and keep it growing. Cause the word of mouth stuff at this point, that's, that's, that's where the business grows, you know, like cold calling, like, you know, you get these guys, these timers that, you know, there's a guy in Chicago who sends stuff out to every race in the whole country. And like, where does that get him? You know, maybe he gets a few bites, but like, it's only because he's so cheap. And at the end of the day, like, if you're not providing good service, and you're not, and you and you you can't show them that you care, like you're not gonna you're not gonna keep that business. Yeah, no, it's the best. It's the best
0: form of um, proactive defense in keeping keeping that customer, especially for something like timing. I think that is in some ways kind of a commodity. Like any, anybody oh. could walk in and say, oh. "I could do this, this, and this for a dollar seventy-two an athlete instead of the dollar eighty-two that you're paying today." You know, it's, it's it's easy to get caught in that trap and just drives everybody's margins down to the point that you're really not providing that, that good of a service.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I, I one of the first things I say when I talk to a race director, I, I, I just want to let you know right now we're not the cheapest. In fact, we're probably the most expensive in, in the, in the market, but yeah. at the same time, we're the best. And here's yeah. why I'm just all off the, the reasons. And yeah, here's what you get for it. You never, very rarely does somebody say, yeah, you know what? I think we're going to, I think we're going to go find the cheap guy, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So,
0: with that with that kind of context, I'd love to pivot to actually pivot towards race directors. I'm not sure if you describe yourself this way, but you're a race director also. you have other events that you you mm-hmm. own and operate. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about what do you find in your experience? Race directors are under leveraging their timers for? what what else? What can timers be? what value can timers be giving to race directors that might not be, as obvious as you know, throwing down mats and, and getting results.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I think I, I, this is what I tell the guys, you know, we, we go to 35 to 45, to maybe 50 events a year, maybe more, probably more. That's how many weekends. So it's maybe double that in some cases. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we see events all the time, we see the good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes made, um, And most of the race directors we work with, I mean, think about it. They, they, they put on one race a year. So, you know, our, we're doing 30 times, we're doing 50 times. We're at 50 times. We have 50 times more experience in one year than they do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of race directors are, are asking, are leaning on us for those, for race management type of stuff. Um, You know, we, we offer it. That's like bread and butter for us. Like we're happy to offer consultation as part of our deal Um, again, since we have the extra bandwidth in the office during the week, you know, we can take that extra phone call and walk them through how to do a, a wave start because of COVID reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think race directors are probably, if they're not leaning on their timers for that type of support and that type of knowledge that they're, they're making a mistake. And, and on the flip side of that, if the timer is not offering their expertise, they're crazy. I mean, they're, they're leaving business on the table. They're leaving a chance to cultivate that relationship one step further. They're leaving that on the table, off the table. So, you know, I, I think the, just the, the knowledge that's, that's, that's created from going to events every weekend throughout the year, you know, you can't replicate that. You know, I always, I always thought this business was so bomb proof because it takes so long to learn what we've learned. Like you have to be so dedicated to this craft to be good at it. Like you can't just throw a bunch of money at it and, and, and be successful. Like you really got to just be in the trenches to learn it and and be good at it. And, um, you know, if it weren't for this damn pandemic, I, this the pandemic. I, I, I thought it was bomb proof. Well, the pandemic is like a nuclear bomb, like (laughs) blew the whole thing to to pieces, but you know, uh, I got. A, I kind of have migrated out of retail because I felt like that—that that is a job. That is an industry where you can just throw money at it, and somebody could throw a million dollars and put a store right, right up next to mine, and then I'm out of luck. But, you know, I don't think this, this the timing companies are so ingrained with the with the relationships and with the knowledge, and like you just can't—it just you just can't snap your fingers and have a, a big timing company overnight.
0: Yeah. But, so let's stick with um, what you said there a moment ago for, for another minute. The, for race directors being able to tap into all kinds of other <clears throat> expertise, experience, services, and whatnot, consulting, essentially consulting from their timers, are there themes within that that you find to be the most common where you're able to, to, to offer value, whether it's a, a pricing recommendation, a registration, best practice, marketing, um, operational stuff? with start lines, finish lines, water stops, which, where, where, where do you find your, your typically adding value that wasn't necessarily requested
1: by the race director when they signed a contract with you? Sure. Well, I'll do pre pandemic. I'll say that it's, it, it, it has to do with the course. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many races early on we'd show up and, you know, we used to have a, you know, a checkbox and a la carte service of, marking their course and measuring their course, make sure it was accurate and nobody ever checked it. You know, the, the, the people that we're working with are nonprofits looking to do this as cheaply as they can Yeah. in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, and they would never check that box. And they say, Oh no, we'll do it ourselves. So, you know, you got a guy out there in a car driving on the right side of the road, not driving the tangents. And, you know, then, then on race day, they put chalk down and it rains and the chalk goes away and people are running all re- which way, and I got so tired of people crossing the finish line. And who's the first guy standing there? This guy, the timer. And so I got tired of getting an earful of people saying, Oh, your course was wrong. It was inaccurate. It was this, it was that. And so what we did was we just bundled it into our, our 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 fees. So now every race we're involved with, at least most of the, like the newer races are the ones that we know need the help. Yeah. But we do the we we measure the course. You know, sometimes it's online, sometimes we'll certify it. Um, but we've, we've gotten pretty darn good. Every, all the timers have gotten pretty darn good at measuring courses online. Um, but we'll, we'll measure it, make sure it's accurate. And then we'll also mark it on race morning. So yeah, you know, we get out there half an hour earlier than probably most timers do, but it only takes half an hour to mark a course. And now every race that we time is accurate. And we know that the, that the runners are not going to get lost. So what that does is it builds our brand in the community We've got I don't know how many, but hundreds, maybe thousands of runners that have come have told us over the years, I will only run big river timed races because I know they'll be the course will be done right, the results will be accurate, they'll be up right away, and that's the only races I run. So I think the the, the course management and the consultation on that is, is a big is a big is a big thing that is a big thing that that you know they, the our race directors lean on us on. Now, pandemic-wise, it's all the COVID stuff. You know, we've spent the last year. I, I've got the. I've gotten to know our, our health departments in our city and county so well. I got them, I have on my. You know, I have their cell phones in my number. Or their cell phone. Their numbers in my cell phone. Yeah. And learning the the ins and outs of permitting. You know, what the what the health departments will and will not allow, what the cap- capacities are right now. You know, we've we've been balancing that, you know, playing that, you know, uh, learning the ins and outs of that stuff that we can then share with our race directors. So, you know, we had a webinar a couple weeks ago we had about 40 race directors of ours in the area tune in for it. And we just covered all the COVID stuff like what is a you know, how does how, what does permitting look like now? Like what are capacities? You know, how do you communicate, you know, what the rules are to your participants? What does a water station look like? what does a star line look like? How do you do start waves? Like we spent an hour just talking about those things and, and uh, you know, tons of compliments, super, people were super appreciative of the time we took to kind of enlighten them on that. And like, it it goes for two reasons. One is to give them what they needed to to figure out if they're going to have an event or not. But two is to help us. I mean, gosh, darn, we're flat on our backs just like every other race director or every other timer in the country for the last year. And, you know, so we're, we're doing everything we can to help to put our race directors in a position to be successful. And, uh, so I, I, think we've got to be proactive as timers to, to empower our, our race directors to, to go out and, and get after it again. Cause gosh, darn, if we don't like you're, 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 you're hurting yourself. If, uh, if other timers or race directors out
0: there want to tap into some of your expertise and what you've done and your learnings and whatnot, where, where might they find you?
1: I mean, they can, I mean, yeah, I mean, can, my information is, is out there. They're welcome to, to email me. It's just Matt at BRRM.com. Happy to share that. Um, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, we put together uh, like a seven page COVID safety plan that we give to all of our race directors. It's like, Hey, mm-hmm. your the health department's going to ask for this. Just forward this to them and tell them you're going to follow this. And obviously you got to follow it, but you know, it, it hits every part of it and you know I, this is not we did not invent this like this is not like we're the founders of this stuff i mean there's been a lot of people paving the way since this covid stuff began in fact i think most of the stuff that we have in, the, in our packet is from the the group that did uh creek kelly out of denver and um gosh i can't remember her name the the director of the colfax marathon put mm-hmm. put this together and and we we saw it and i was like oh this is this is laid out really well it's really well thought out and like we took it and kind of adopted it to things that we felt were appropriate we changed some things around um and and with the direction of our health department but but um that's we're happy to share that with anybody that wants it wants a copy of it and uh and that webinar is available for it's on youtube so i can i can share that if anybody wants it to you know it's it's not it's nothing it's nothing groundbreaking it's stuff that probably every timer has been doing around the country but for again you gotta remember our race directors one day a year that's that's All they get at this, so you know they're they're still they're still trying to figure out if they can even get a permit. So again, like the timers, again, we have so much knowledge that we just we do this every weekend. Like we gain all this knowledge, and and I think we need to remember that like our race directors are 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 thirsty for this knowledge. Like the stuff that we're that we are like, oh yeah, this is how you do it. Like duh, yeah, they don't know. So like it's our job to to illuminate them, you know, help them figure it out. And again. The sooner they're putting on races, the more the sooner we're back back in business.
0: Yeah, I was uh, I used the analogy last week, which I think I'm pretty proud of, which was that timers timers are to race directors what um, physicians, assistants, and nurse practitioners are to, to doctors. They have all the skills, they can write the prescriptions, they have all the experience, they just don't quite have the same the same title when it comes to do surgery or in this case comes to race day. So I think it's a an under leveraged resource that a lot of race directors could could draw a lot more. Uh,
1: a lot more value out of no for sure for sure that, but, that's a whole arm of our business now too yeah we, we we have a timing contract and then for some races we have management contracts and that could be as as you know that could be as as um as little as like managing their packet pickup or again like marking their course um but that could be everything you know like this weekend we're going we're going to kansas city this weekend for the trolley run yeah. and this is our um uh, it's at the race's 33rd year uh, but this is our first year as the timers, and we're we're managing the race, so like we're doing all the logistics for it. So, you know, it's a full full hands on deck deal for our team. And but it you know it they're they're good contracts, and and you, know, you can't do a ton of them, but you yeah. can do you can you know you got to be careful as to what you can and can't do, and don't overload yourselves. But you know it's a it's it's a um, it's another good revenue stream.
0: Matt, do you think timing comes back? proportionate to racing coming back or do you think there's any more or less um risk or opportunity for timing within racing
1: i mean i think i think things are going to come back this fall i I don't believe we're going to see the participation numbers back where we were seeing in fall of 2019 i just think it's going to take some people a little bit longer to be comfortable um Coming out to in-person events, I do mm-hmm. think I do think most events will happen in the fall. I mean, as you know, things change quickly. Yeah. but most of our clients we've talked to in the fall are, are all systems go. They're they're doing it. They're ready to do it. Um, I don't know if we'll see the full-scale participation rates that we did before. Now, I could be I could be pleasantly surprised. You know, there's there's more runners and walkers out there than ever before. Our running stores had the best year in the history of the, of the stores last year, more people were out running and walking than, than than they couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't do whatever. So they're out there. There's a ton. There's millions and millions of new runners and walkers out there. I I hope my hope is that they find racing and they get into racing and that they kind of take their running to the next level. Um, But I think, from a time perspective, I think, I think there'll be enough business. I mean, I think it's going to come back. There'll be, there'll be enough reps, you know, I don't know if there'll be as many participants. So, you know, the revenue won't be as good as it was, but I still think it'll be fine. You know, plenty to, to, to sustain business. Yeah. I'm curious to see the effect of like you and I talking about it now versus once
0: like the, um, the contagious energy that comes out of those races, just like the, just the the genuine happiness and goodwill and community spirit, all those kinds of things talking about, I think the races will be like this versus actually the emotional part. Once that's on display for others to see, you know, uh, a a race that wasn't allowed to happen this year, that would normally be 2000 people. If this year it's 500 people, but then the other races around that, that see that, like, I, I think, I think it's, I think it, racing has kind of become muted, muted over the past year, but as soon as the that volume gets turned up a little bit and you, and you get to feel it again and see it again, I have high hopes that things come roaring back. And then there's all the you know, will people want virtuals? Maybe, maybe not. How long will they want them for? maybe uh, you know I don't I don't know. been wrong about everything else with the pandemic so far. so <laughs> I know at this point, I just keep saying I, I don't know. But um but yeah I just I what I what I believe in most and what I'm most excited to see is when that energy is on display again, not just talked about like a little logistics of an event, but when you can see it and feel it, I think I think that's when it's gonna really start to take off. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I got one last curveball for you. It's mm-hmm. actually about Athlinks, not Chrono Track. And of you know, Athlinks is this really interesting entity. Um, 360 plus million result records, a million and a half plus events growing at multiple tens of millions of result records per year, just this incredible source of information that there's, there's really nothing else like it. I'm curious for your point of view on, of all the things that Athlinks could do next and could be, what do you think provides the most value to you and your business? And I'll, and I'll tee it up in a couple categories to try to help uh help you out a little bit one would be operational things um like corral validation and uh vetting your projected finish time versus an actual historical finish time vetting prs things like that Um, being able to flag people who are performing exceptionally well than any past experience whether the concern is doping or course cutting or bib swapping or things like that you could put all of that in an operational category the second might be what I would just call market analysis, so knowing within the local or regional or state or city level or national level, you know, the, the uh, growth or shrinkage of different segments or sub-segments, you know, cycling versus mountain bike versus gravel, things like that. And then the third category I would just say as I actually hate this word, but experiential. So all the, all the ways that athletes can interact with athletes for their results and finding their next race and and um, everything in between, um, does it do any of those things strike you as particularly
1: meaningful for for you and your business? Well, I think there's, Athens has so much potential, and and it is the but that is, I think you're asking this question because I think you you would agree with this. It's so it's so difficult to decide what would be the best direction for it. Um, we've been talking about it for years as to what we think would be the best way to, to, uh, to make it, you know, more meaningful. And, and that, and that's not to say that it isn't meaningful already. I think it's an awesome resource. And, you know, uh, I think for one, I think a lot of people still aren't really that aware of what it is exactly. Um, I had a meeting with a race director a few weeks ago who's, race is you know twelve thousand people she's been in the industry forever and and i was telling her about it she really didn't understand or know what i was talking about i showed her i pulled up my my um athlete record and was showing her my results from back in like 1999 you know and she was like wow this is amazing so i think there's some untapped potential there with just the general you know endurance athlete not even knowing what it what it really is and what it Mm -hmm. what is under all those layers, you know, what's in, what's in those 350 million results. Um, I, I think from, from an athlete standpoint, I, I think I would love to see it become more gamified. So I've been in the, uh, in the, in the developers years for years about let's, let's, let's give them like some reasons to like go to athletes all the time. Like let's give them a trophy case where, you know, if they run an, a race that's timed with athletes, like every race that we time, that if they finish in their age group, they get an age group award, there's there's a trophy that they get and it goes into their trophy case on their athlete's profile. Mm-hmm. So they can go back and see all their trophies and all the times they've placed in their in their age group over the years and and give the races like the ability to customize those, you know, hundred by hundred pixel um icons and uh and let them be creative and make these like these things you know it's just like strava you know like make it like strava strava has like 25 million active users and and it's because it's 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 everybody wants to beat yesterday and 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 um and get that get that little trophy next to the next to that segment and i think you can do that same thing with races with with age group awards and and with um, and they don't even have to be age group awards it could be the middle of pack award you know like have have things that surprise and delight the users um maybe it's like this is your 100th race you know this is your first 50 miler like you get these badges and whatever and you, people want to just grow their trophy cases so that's that's one that's one from a user and user perspective um from a timer's perspective i love the idea of being able to flag flag times that maybe don't look don't look right i mean i think uh-huh. that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we have is like Okay, this guy just ran a pretty fast time. You know, we usually look him up on Athlinks and say, okay, he's run seven minute pace for all of his marathons, and he ran five thirty today. Or you know, maybe adjust that a little bit to make where it stands out a little bit more. But um, we utilize it manually to double check results that we aren't quite sure of. Yeah. To have that integrated into our timing system to where it it automatically would flag somebody, say, hey, this is quite a bit faster than anything they've ever put on Athlinks. Um, then we can look into it a little bit deeper. Uh, that would be a that would be a, a game changer in terms of just really um, policing policing results and, and making sure they're as accurate as they could possibly be. Um, and then as for the race directors, how to get them to to uh, to look at it as a service? That I'm not quite sure. You know, I, I think some races would be interested in like being able to dig into demographics and see all the competitive aspects in the, in the region and, and, uh, across the country. Um, but I think that's a small subset. You got to remember, like, you know, we time 350 races a year, but our average race is about a thousand people. Yeah. So like a thousand person race is not going to spend a whole lot of extra money on trying to figure out their demographics and they're just not that advanced. So, you know, the, 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 the company or the races and the organizations that would be, willing to spend money on something like that and interested and able to actually use that, that data is a small subset. So, um, but there are, I mean, I'm sure some of the bigger ones would be all over that data.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Making money is actually less of a concern. Like we'll make that, we'll figure that out later as long as we provide value first. And as you kind of said, there's so many different directions we could, we could take this thing it's it's tricky to triangulate which one is the right step first especially right now with things starting to wake up and people coming out of the out of pandemic mode like we're n- nobody's really hibernating as much anymore at the, at the very least they're coming out of hibernation and and preparing even if they can't really act yet and so the the timing is right to launch something new and exciting and interesting powered by athletes the trick is Asking hundred people and getting, you know, 67 different answers on which the right where's where's the right place to start? Hence the question. So I appreciate your uh, taking a couple different views on that
1: one. No, you're on the right track though. I mean, you ask hundred people and if thirty say X, then and that's the number one answer, then yeah. that's kind of the direction you probably should go.
0: All right. I have two more questions. <clears throat> Both are relatively easy, or they're supposed to be. Do you have a facing a favorite racing moment? out of all of the races, either for yourself as an athlete or as
1: a timer, or as a race director, you have a favorite racing moment that sticks out. Oh man. I heard you ask this one on one of the last podcasts and I was trying to think about it, but I, I gosh, I don't know. I don't think I have a great answer for that. I think that, I think it kind of, I think every time you cross the finish line, that's a great, it's a, just a great feeling. You know, I don't race as often as I used to. And, the races that I have partaken in in the last few years have been bigger and bigger. And, um, and so they've, those finish lines have have been more meaningful, I guess, as you get older and you realize that, you know, you don't have as much free time to to vote towards your, what you used to really love to do a lot. And, um, but, you know, I I think from, I think from our stand, from my standpoint, as as somebody who's at a lot of events, you know, I, I just love watching those, those, I love watching people come into the sport because there's just like I've crossed so many finish lines over the years as, as an athlete. And, and, uh, but watching somebody cross it for the first time and, and, and see that like pure joy and jubilation and like, like experiencing that, that first moment through their eyes is just such a such is what makes this job so rewarding and keeps you coming back. Um, that's just so much fun for us and for me yeah. in particular. Yeah.
0: It never gets old. It's the genuine positivity that I think keeps
1: it from ever getting stale. It's no, it, it's true. Like just like in the running stores are much like the, the races. like, it's just a happy place. You know, people love coming into the store to get new shoes and talk about their running and people love coming to events. I mean, it, it's, it's their entertainment. You know, the, some people go to the movies, some people go to the casinos and, and and the, our people love coming to races, and, and they love the, the the social aspect, they love the competitive aspect, and the atmosphere, and, and uh, it's just a happy place to be. So yeah, you know, we're lucky, you know. It, it, the weekends suck. There's no question about it. But but it's just a happy place to come to work.
0: Yeah, well, lucky is the right the right word for it. I used to I used to, my answer to that question would have always been about finish lines, also, and I, I do still love them although I talk about it way too much on the podcast but the um my new one that I've replaced that with is was that a a race a couple weeks ago around St Patrick's time horrible weather hybrid virtual real format open course uh, open roads excuse me on, on the course you know very little infrastructure and I had city managers athletes spectators random people just coming up and just saying the most ridiculous things to me. Like, you know, this is the first time I've been happy in a year. This is the first time I felt like I was home in a year. This is the first time I felt normal in a year. And that just, it just, it was so consistent throughout that entire weekend to just get hammered with that kind of positive feedback that it's just, it's my new favorite racing moment, even though nobody was really racing. That was all stuff at the start line before they even began. But it just made me think, you know what, we're going to be okay. And, Kind of like you just said this is just a this is just a special thing to be part of so i always i always felt like an outsider in this industry and maybe i always will but i'm i'm happy to be here for what i would call the rebirth of it in 21 22 sometime between 21 and 24 whatever whatever it takes i'm just i'm happy to be here for it i'm curious to see what the athletes demand of us and how how things go back to "quote unquote" normal, old norm, normal versus what new normals are, are established. I'm just, I just feel very lucky to be here, and I have nothing but excitement to uh, find out what happens next. Yeah, yeah, long sure. for the ride. Yeah. All right, great. Um, last question: Who do you, uh, who do you recommend we speak to next on the podcast? Anybody pop top of mind for you?
1: Um, and this is just in the industry, not necessarily timers. Well, it could be anybody you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I, I don't know him well. I know I've, I've worked with him on a handful of events now. Um, a gentleman named JT service out of, uh, out of the, the Bay area. He's, he's, uh, he owns a race management company called soul focus sports, and he's an absolute character. I saw him presented, uh, at running USA a couple of years ago and I was, I was rolling on the floor the whole time. It was so funny, but he's very insightful. And, uh, and he's kinda of like that next generation. And he's probably my age, maybe a little younger, but um, but he's kinda of the future of, of what I see race management companies um, and in what they're doing. So I would I would I would love to see I'd love to hear him because he'd be a hoot to listen to. Um, and, and but I'd also love to he's got so much he's got he's got so much knowledge, I'd love to love to hear his insight. Excellent. I don't know him at all, so I'm excited to have a
0: total stranger uh, recommend it. we get to meet somebody new and see what he has to say. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I, um, I'm rooting for you. As always, we're in the same boat here, so um, hope, hopefully it works out best for, for the both of us. I think it will. I'm really appreciative of giving us an hour or so of, of your time here and sharing a lot of your best practices. And one more time, I just want to say congratulations for building such a successful organization with – Continual growth, and you were able to weather a pretty pretty ugly storm
1: here. So, congratulations to you and the team on being able to do that. No, I, I appreciate that, Mike, and uh, I appreciate Crown Track over the years. You guys have always been there for us, and uh, and have provided us with everything we've needed. So, it's uh, it's a great relationship, and I appreciate the appreciate appreciate the support and the opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, about about things. So, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, you're welcome back anytime. I hope you come
0: back. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right.